Well, it has been a real privilege. Uh, I, I've loved being with you this weekend. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I've enjoyed talking to some of you, getting one or two of your names completely wrong, um, learning one or two others of you, um, and hearing a little bit more about your situation, about your church. Um, you are a very friendly group of people. Maybe that's because you managed to leave all the unfriendly ones behind. I don't know. But um, <laughs> you are. Um, it's been a joy. And uh, so thanks so much for having me. We've been looking at um, uh, this way of thinking about life, really, all of life, and trying to think about how all of life connects up with God's Word. And um, we started thinking about the heat, about the, the difficulties, the challenges, the, um, the, the stuff with which our, our every day is full, which is the context in which we're trying to live out the Christian life. You know, from time to time, a really big question comes your way, a really big issue. What job am I going to do? How will I make sense of that decision as a Christian? Or um, uh, what about this particular relationship? What direction should I go in, in, in uh, as a Christian? Um, and those are really important to think through, but most of our life is lived in little 30-second windows that seem much less important than that, but actually, because they're 99% of life, they're much more important. And we thought about how in those windows we... Um, we often respond with, with thorns, uh, with stuff that just comes out of us, and um, we don't tend to think about it very much, but um, it's just there. It's part of the normal, the normal fabric of the way we are and who we are. And we thought about how um, we can try and respond by doing that fruit stapling thing and pulling fruit off the tree and stapling new stuff on, which, which is a, a picture of just trying harder, um, uh, perhaps encouraging each other to try harder, perhaps saying, well, I think you should just dot, dot, dot. Do you have those conversations with people? Um, someone shares something they're finding hard, and in your mind, it's just a matter of doing something else, doing something differently. But we thought about how really, and, and here's the um, precious insight that the Bible adds to our view of life, that really what's happening is below the surface, in our hearts, we're living out a relationship with God all the time. It's not that we have a, you know, a few moments in life where that relationship with God is, is put to the test. We're actually living out our relationship with God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And if we want to change the fruit in our lives, the place to go for that change is our relationship with God. And that's a big problem because... What can you and I do to improve our relationship with God? Who are we? And that's the wonderful, sweet, good news of the gospel, is that he has done everything to come to us, to restore our relationship with him in the everyday things of life. And he draws us to himself in repentance and faith. He draws us to keep turning away from those million ways, million varieties we have of pushing him to the edge of our life. He calls us to keep turning away and trusting whenever we come back to him he receives us like the prodigal coming home because that is his nature that is his grace and that book extravagant grace which um eddie recommended um i've read a bit more of than eddie and i want to really encourage it because it's answering the question if god is sovereign and if he loves me why am i still sinning why is it that i have daily sin in my life because I've been a Christian for a little while now, and why is this still happening? And I've prayed about it and asked about it. And what, what, what could God's reason possibly be for not just stopping me doing it? Because he could do. And 
that's a great question to think more about pastorally because it's a question we end up asking ourselves in one form or another many days of our life, and that book tackles it better than anything else I've come across. But one of the answers that that book helps us to see is that um, in my daily sin, I have the immediate possibility of daily sweet communion with my Heavenly Father, and I know him again as a God of infinite, perfect grace. Um, the question of why there is evil in the world is in the end a very difficult one to answer but I think part of the answer is that God wanted to be known not just as the great and glorious one but he wanted to be known in all etern- in, for all eternity as the saviour of sinners who loved us so much that he would give his son if that's what it took and it did and he did and that's how we'll know him forever more and more deeply, deeply and every day a little bit more a little bit more deeply. And it's not far away from us. It's not inaccessible. It's not like you've got to go on a pilgrimage. You haven't even got to go to High Lee. In Blackheath, in your house, in your kitchen, in your bedroom, in your workplace, in your church, that's where he is at work in our lives. And we've begun, I hope we've begun to experience this thing as we talk together on tables that God has put immense power in the words we exchange with each other. We started in Ephesians chapter 4 with the idea that speaking truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That the words we say to each other, not just the words we hear from the front, they prepare us for this, but the words we say to each other are given God's power to help us grow into maturity in Christ. That's an extraordinary opportunity for us an extraordinary ministry we all are given if we're members of church and in hebrews chapter three it has another angle on this just to emphasize the power of the words that come out of your mouth that will come out of your mouth today in conversation hebrews chapter three is a hebrews is an extraordinary book um, helping god's people to remain christians in all the pressures you might like to turn it up you don't have to, it's not a very long quote, but in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, is where I'm going to point us to just for a moment. The writer is saying, is he beginning his task in this letter of saying how beautiful and glorious Jesus Christ is and how impossible it would be, knowing how beautiful Jesus is, to think about going back to Judaism. Um, and he says, you know, there are real dangers in turning away from God. And he says in verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, that could be kind of a word from the front saying, each one of you, brothers and sisters, look at your own heart and see to it that you're not turning away from the living God right now. That could be what that verse means. But if you look at the next verse, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In other words... If I can put it like this, it's, it's your responsibility to see to my heart if I'm a member of your church family. See to it, brothers and sisters, that not one of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened. So here's the thing. God has given you the capacity, in the words that you say to your Christian brother or sister, to protect them from the hardness of sin. To hold them until the return of the Lord Jesus. And um, I don't know how you woke up today and, and how you felt about the things you would say to each other. 
But the Bible says that our words are incredibly powerful. Not because we are incredibly powerful, but because the very powerful God has planned things so that the truth that comes out of our mouth is hugely effective when spoken to a brother or sister who we love and care for in the Lord. And we're going to think at the end about some of the implications of that for the wonder of what church life is. That's not just about a weekend away, although it's a wonderful opportunity. But as we go back into the normal daily things of church, there's an amazingly um, important and exciting agenda that God has for our relationships with each other. We'll get to that um, at the end. Um, In our diagram, which I've reproduced there on page 10, um, we've talked about the heat and we've talked about the heart and we've talked about how um, our heart is worked out in relationship with God. And that's what that... This is sometimes called the three trees diagram. Um, And it's because there is this third tree in the middle, which is the cross, summarizing all that God is and all that God has done, most um, gloriously centered in the gift of his son, the Lord Jesus, for us. Because it's in his son that we can draw near over and over and over again. Because he has borne the punishment for us. He has borne the consequences for us. And we know because of Jesus that every time we come back, if we come back in repentance and faith, we will be welcomed in. And it's that that changes our heart. It's that that molds our heart. I want to think a little bit more about that now. Because as we're going to think about how good fruit grows in our life, it grows from a heart that God is changing. So here is um, a, a hymn, some words of a hymn which I'm going to read and invite you to think about. In evil long I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his loving eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look. It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt and helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain. A second look he gave which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayst live. Thus, while his death my sin displays in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace, it seals my pardon too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit is now filled. That I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. So what I'd like 
is if in twos and threes in your tables you could discuss together what stopped in back in verse one he he called this was written by john newton by the way the same author as amazing grace and um it is the letters of john newton that inspire that book extravagant grace um which is one of the things that makes it such a great book but um back in verse one do you see he has that glorious phrase that stopped my wild career um a career being a sort of a headlong crash towards disaster And um, I want you to just talk together about what that poem shares with us about what stopped his wild career, what stopped that headlong rush towards disaster. So talk in twos and threes about that um, song for a minute or two. And if you get towards the end of that, then think about whether there are other songs, other hymns that move you in that kind of way to think about the cross. Bob Kauflin has written um, a beautiful tune to that and an arrangement um, under the Sovereign Grace um, label. So if you want to find that uh, hymn online, it's called The Look, Sovereign Grace, and it's absolutely glorious. Um, John Newton, as he um, reflects on the cross, he sees Jesus look at him twice, doesn't he? First to say, um, I'm here because of you. I'm on the cross, forsaken by my Heavenly Father, dying under the punishment for sin, not because it's my sin, but because it's yours. And we see Jesus there, knowingly, staring in the eye and saying, yes, that is, that is your sin, that's why I'm here. And then there's this other look, a second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. I'm here for you in the sense not only that in your place, but to earn your forgiveness, that you, you're, you're forgiven. And um, you see first from the perspective of John Newton how extraordinary it is to realise that he, Jesus knows him and knows his sin and knows his own responsibility and yet freely forgives him, even though it cost him his life. And that is how he is with each of us. But also, do you see the beauty of the character of Jesus? That... This is, this is what it really means to be utterly loving and human. Is to give yourself without cost for the good of someone else. So, um, Jesus on the cross works in at least two ways in my heart. First, I see, I see again how much he loves me. And secondly, I see a glimpse of what it might be like to be a little bit more like him. A little bit less bothered by all the things people do against me. I'm not deterred by things I feel as as are attacks on me. I just carry on loving them. Wouldn't that be amazing? I'm so rubbish at that right now. But being more like him is the most appealing thing I can imagine for my life. So here are three options for us to think about. First is, we could aim at this. We could, we could aim to carry on as we are in life, responding in the same ways with no change. That's option one. Option two would be to try to change our behaviour to become a bit better as a person so we could respond in better ways next time. That's option two. And option three would be growing closer to Jesus, being more passionate about him and responding more like him day by day. And given those three possible ways you could 
aim your life, which do you prefer and why? One of the nice things about being, on the, being here is that I can't actually hear the detail of anybody's conversation, so I've got no idea what you were saying. But um, here's, here's something just, just for this section of the crowd that um, decided option three was the way we wanted to go. That is exactly what is going to happen. Philippians 1.6, you've got a brilliant fridge magnet uh, in your goodie bag, um, which says this, I'm sure of this. The Apostle Paul is sure of something. You can be sure he's right. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Um, it's going to happen. It's happening today. It's happening in the conversations you're having around the tables as you share your thoughts with each other. It's happening as we hear God's word together. It's happening as we pick up our kids. It's happening as we um, get back in our cars and head back to whatever situations we go home to. It's happening over lunch as God provides us with food and drink and sometimes we remember to say thank you and sometimes we don't and he gives it anyway. And as we experience that grace and as we experience the sun and the rain and coronavirus and whatever it is that's happening, God is at work in his people keeping that promise. You are growing closer to Jesus, becoming more passionate about him and responding more like him day by day. Now, the thing is, it's usually very slow. Um, usually, if you, if you look at you and you look at yourself five minutes later, you can't see much difference. And that can be a little bit depressing, especially when you're aware that um, five minutes ago you did something fairly rubbish. Um, I don't know what your experiences have been like over this weekend, but um, I, th- I think what sometimes a weekend can do really helpfully is give us a little taste of what it feels like to, 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 to un- see a little bit more clearly, to, to have a, you know, something a little bit clarified, even, even to make a little bit of progress. So I think I want to say two things about that. The first thing I want to say is that even seeing a little bit more clearly where we're going is a wonderful work of God that is worth being on a weekend for just to get that, even if you feel there's no change yet. But something's, something in me is saying that, yeah, I can see a little bit more what God's about. And I can be a little bit more confident that's what he's doing. And I'm a little bit more excited than I was about the possibility that in a certain amount of time I might be a little bit more like Jesus because he's fulfilling his promise in me. You know, if, if, if you get a little bit of that going on somewhere in your heart, then that is gold and that is change and that is growth. And it's begun even just in a 48-hour period. Less. But it's something also that... Um, uh, the, the normal pattern is that God works in us um, slowly over over time. It will it will take time. It will take uh, you coming to the Lord um, as He draws you back in repentance and faith. Uh, take that that habit going on with the help and encouragement of your Christian brothers and sisters. Um, it'll take. Uh, you know, you turning these things over in your mind. You know, the next time you're taking out the recycling or whatever is the thing you were talking about, the bit in your life that struck you. And there may be there may be several that you've heard as you've heard other people share what it is for them. You thought, well, actually, that's true for me as well. I've now got six examples because there are six people on the table. And as you keep on turning those things over and keep bringing them to the Lord, keep talking about them together, you will find things change, and because God is present by His Spirit in each one of us, fulfilling His promise.
giving his grace to make us more like his son. Um, Over on pages uh, 12 and 13, uh, you've got um, nothing more than the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. Um, laid out for you to read about and think about. And so what I'd like you to do is to um, perhaps read through those on your own, on your tables, um, and then imagine one of those things. And actually, that's an endless list, because if you look at the very last one, so you know there are nine features of the fruit of the Spirit described in Galatians 5. Um, but then just after that, Paul says, against such things there is no law. So in other words, those nine things I've just given you, they were only examples. You can think of others. And um, someone helped me to think of four others which I put down there. Honesty, integrity, courage, encouragement. There are lots of other things, ways in which the spirits work. So you don't have to be limited to one of the nine that Paul thought of when he was writing Galatians 5. But um, I want you to, to take some of those examples, one, one at least of those examples, and imagine what it would be like for that fruit to ripen in the area of life that you've been thinking about over the weekend, or, or one of them. So that thing you're thinking about, uh, taking out the recycling, um, what might it look like uh, if the fruit of peace was going to grow in me in that moment? Peace uh, says here, deep-seated confidence that even when it seems otherwise and even in great pain, nothing is out of control and you're safe in God's hands. What might it look like to know something more of peace when I'm taking out the recycling? Not even lemonade bottles are out of control. Um, have a go at that yourselves. Have a, have a, read down the things and, and pick one that seems to fit and just think in your groups, twos and threes, what might that look like? If you're anything like me, as soon as you start thinking about Things in which ways in which your behaviour could be different, uh, you'll start thinking back in this kind of way. You'll start thinking, oh, I can imagine what that would be like to have fruit like that in my life, so I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to try. And what we're saying is that, I mean, it is not that easy, and if it was that easy, why haven't you done it yet? <laughs> and why haven't I done it yet? Um, it's because God has closed that way off, actually. He has not given us the strength of will to live like Jesus. But what he's done is create a way of drawing us deeply into a dependent relationship with him. Because this comes from our hearts, and we need our hearts to be in relationship with the living God. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Now, what you and I will do to verses like that 
especially if we're at the moment in our lives where we're thinking about the need to be better, is we will look at verse 12 and say, ah, God is teaching me to say no to ungodliness. So that's what I need to do. I need to say no to ungodliness. And you might make a little bit of progress for a certain amount of time with that, especially um, if you can see how your ungodliness is hurting somebody else that you love. But what is happening in those verses is that um, we're actually being told it doesn't just work to, say, to decide to say no to ungodliness. We've got to be taught that by the grace of God. Do you see? The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. The question, how do I grow self-control? Someone was chatting to me very wisely um, about what it's, what it's like living um, on your own and about how self-control is especially an issue in that setting. That's right, isn't it? Almost by definition, you know, self-control is hardest on your own because there's no other input to you. It's just you. So how do we grow self-control? According to Titus, you grow it by learning from the grace of God. And that is spelled out even these verses, the grace of God appears and teaches us to live in a self-controlled way. And then it goes, reminds us what the grace of God was. We, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all we... It's that look again. Jesus Christ gave himself on the cross to redeem us from our wickedness and to grow in us this eagerness to do what is good. That eagerness grows as we learn more of the grace of God, applied to us, that he forgives me, that he draws me to himself of repentance and faith. I can't just try harder. And every time I fail, I come back to him. I re-experience that he has redeemed me. And he grows in me a desire now to be pure, eager to do what is good. When I see what goodness looks like in Jesus, and I see how that good one gave himself for me, I do actually want to be like him a little bit more than I did before. But I can't do that without that personal experience of his love for me and his grace for me over and over and over again in the ordinary, normal things of life. That's how, um, how we grow fruit. as God draws us to himself by his grace. Now, I want us to finish by thinking about um, the ordinary life of church in a moment. But first of all, I'd like you to do um, this. Um, If there's been things about our time together on this weekend that's been helpful, what are the things that we've done together that has been helpful? So um, what what things are helping with this sense of um, growing good fruit? What things are helping with the sense of understanding the whole thing? What, what, what things that we've done together have been, have been helpful? Um, that's the first question, really, on page 14. This fruit is growing and all goes people. What things, what things are helping, do you think? We're thinking, first of all, what, what has it been about this weekend that has um, at least been sort of a, a prod or a little chink opening or something, something useful and helpful? Talk together about that for a moment.
So I'd love, I'd love to hear some of your ideas. I suppose it's a bit like filling in a feedback form, but not really. Um, <laughs> what, are some, what are some things that strike you um, about just the things we've been doing together that, that are helpful? Fellowship. Fellowship. And being what? Together. Being together. Being together. Can we unpack any, 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 any bits of being together that, that make it helpful? Sorry, that's a wonderful number of ideas. Let's go around. Yes, at the back first. Okay, so with, with that, who's separate? Yes. So if I say being together with Christians, <laughs> who's people? We're, we're brothers and sisters. Yes, we're family. Great. Thank you. Uh, some, another, another idea. Yeah. Well, we were thinking of this other thing about being given permission to talk to each other and uh, sin. Yeah. The thing, I, the thing I love about this is it's not. There's no trick here, is there? There's not like there's anything new. Um, it's just our lives. <laughs> it's just what's going on. We're just thinking about them and talking about them with each other and discovering actually how similar they are and how we've all had lots of the same thoughts. We just haven't heard each other express them in this kind of way before. Yeah. Great. Other things that are helpful. Oh, I'll say. Go. Yeah. Well, yeah. One of the great blessings in a church like All Saints Blackheath is the wiser, older saint. saint. <laughs> Sorry? Who's still saint? St. John's, St. John's, St. John's. <laughs> church like St. John's. We are all saints. That's right. That's right. I don't know what my brain was doing there. <laughs> Thanks for interpreting. Um, yes, I can't, I can't think and write at the same time. Um, but I will say it again and try and get it right this time. One of the great blessings of being a church like St. John's Blackheath is wiser older saints who, yes, are further on in the Christian life. Why are they further on in the Christian life? Because God has been doing this. It's not like, you know, um, God has not been on the case and he, you know, we're suddenly reminding him about what he promised, so he's not suddenly going to start doing it. He has actually been doing it every day. And so, of course, people that have been Christians for, I don't know, at least 40 years, if you started when you were eight, um, that, that's, we get to see it. And we get to praise God for you. And, it's a big responsibility. And your friendship. <laughs> well, you've been reminded of the responsibility. That's great. So let's say uh, mutual. I can't actually even write. But yes, absolutely. What else has been helpful? Um, I've been, when we were talking about yesterday, um, our heat. And I've had a, a, a family member in my mind for the last few days. And um, talking to people, I've realised that, you know, prayer is kind of, for me at the moment, the most I can do, and and so glad that I've got already got. I'm fairly new Christian compared to some of the others here. Well, you know. Well, we all are, yeah. Yeah, but um, you know, it, it just reaffirms that I can I can really you know um, put him again in my bed for three all the time, all yeah. the time, all the time. Yeah. Because at the moment he feels unreachable, and that's really difficult. Um, but knowing that um, God's love and my my faith will really yeah. um, be there. Thank you. So we must definitely write prayer on here. Yeah. And, and we might unpack it as drawing near to God. Uh, or we could unpack it as repentance and faith. Um, the, the actual doing of that, we're going to pray in a moment, the actual doing of that is not just a Christian duty and a tick box thing. It is... It is our relationship with God. We, we actually talk to him. We, we, we put together words of repentance and faith and request for those we love. 
we pour them out to him, and it becomes increasingly a natural thing to do. And if that's how we talk to God, what, what else is helpful? How he talks to us? In his word. Because all we've been doing is unpacking his word. So, God's word is the foundation. And it's worth being explicit about that because um, this is the only place you'll find any of this in the Bible. You won't find any of the Holy Book. You won't find any other source of worldly wisdom. You won't find it anywhere else in the world except only in the Bible. So it's a good job. We've all got at least one copy and we can read it and we've got it on our phones and it's easily accessible to us. Um, We have exposure to the one place you will find all of this. God's marvellous word. Now the next question is, how many of those things are only available to us on a weekend away? And how many of those things are available to us as part of the normal life of St John's Blackheath? And a weekend away does create opportunities, which is why it's such a wonderful thing when churches organise them. But the reality is, there is nothing, is there, about our time together that isn't already in some way part of the life of St John's Blackheath. Let's go through... Let's go through um, this. Being, being together with Christian brothers and sisters. And now it's easy in the, in, the, in the shorter, compressed times of a Sunday to forget that amazing privilege. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in Germany uh, in the period running up to and in the Second World War, wrote a book called Life Together. And one of his extraordinary things he makes there is, have you all completely lost sight of how, what an amazing gift it is not to be a Christian alone? We have brothers and sisters, and when God puts us alongside someone else, he's doing something so generous. And when you meet with other people from St. John's Blackheath, he is giving you something of incredible value. And that happens, well, probably many times a week, depending how busy you are, what other responsibilities God's given you at the moment. This is something that is definitely available to us in the normal life of church, God's genius in doing church that way. What about talking openly, talking about real life? Is that something that's possible for us? It is. What are some of the contexts where talking openly happens in the life of St. John's Blackheath? Or could happen? Uh, or might happen? Or could happen more? Small groups. Small groups, yes. This is why small groups are so wonderful. Because you get to know a smaller group of people and you get to know their real lives more and more because you talk about them. And you think together just exactly the kinds of conversations we're having around tables about how the Bible connects with real life. Prayer triplets. Prayer triplets. Wonderful opportunity for that, yes. Um, Sometimes Sunday church is an opportunity for that, isn't it? And sometimes coffee, or um, people ever get there early, which is a problem in every church I've ever (laughs) worked in. But um, there are opportunities just because you're together, perhaps for open conversations. Let's put Sunday on there, and I'm sure you can think of others relevant to the life of your church. But talking openly about real life is possible. And if that's a really special thing we've enjoyed this weekend, we don't have to stop. Wiser, older saints. Yes, absolutely. And they're there for encouragement, our example, and, um, and the mutual responsibility for each other. Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a glorious privilege to, to have that. And God has entrusted you, if you're a Christian, with the care of his people. Not just Eddie and not just the team, all of us. Mutual responsibility that we all we all have and prayer and the word of God are the lifeblood of St John's and the lifeblood of every Christian life and there are, there are countless opportunities in the corporate life of the church in the small group life of the church on Sundays midweek and in your own personal day to make these means of God's grace available to you as available as you want them to be they're just there for you at any time doesn't matter what you've done or how long it's been 
The Bible is there for you to open, and God's throne room is there for you to talk to, and he hears everything um, all the time. So we're going to finish our session in prayer on our tables. Now, it may be that um, for some of us this is you know, the most scary thing, that we're going to turn in little groups and pray together. I don't know how that feels at St. John's Blackheath. I remember the first time I was in a meeting where it was announced everybody was going to start doing this, and I had no idea what to say, I had no idea what to do. And, and I want to say, um, it doesn't matter at all how expert or an expert you feel about praying with your brothers and sisters um, in a setting like this. We're all learning, and some of us have been learning for a bit longer, and that's fine, they can go first. But please don't feel the need, <laughs> please don't feel the need to be put off or to feel reserved. Um, it's hard to find words for these things. Just start saying something. You might, for example, want to go back to those words that you wrote yesterday, words of repentance and faith, talking to the Lord Jesus honestly, straightforwardly about the things that he's done, uh, about the things um, that you want his help with, the things that you've done. Uh, You might want to put into words some of the things you were thinking about that hymn, about him on the cross. You might want to express something of love and thanks for him, anything you might like to pray about. But just in twos and threes, uh, spend a few minutes uh, praying together now.